Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, CEO of Digital Dawn, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Here on the Ecom Profit Podcast, I open Pandora's box and share with you and other ecom business owners weekly topics that will help you explode your business online. I outline my tried and true secret sauce, the D2D method, that's guaranteed to bring your business results. As an entrepreneur myself, I try to pull out all the same entrepreneurial passions in others. So get ready to be fired up about your business and let's have a great time. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, and today I am excited to talk with Jordan Clark, who is the CEO of one of the coolest brands that I've seen in a really long time. And we're going to talk all about comfort, styles, shoes, vision. All sorts of things, but welcome Jordan to the the show. Jordan has a background in startups and management consulting. Um, she has a passion for good looking, comfy shoes, and set out to kind of reimagine what slippers for women could look like, combining style and support and sustainability. And she is the CEO and founder of Dewey's. And I am a big fan of this brand. I have been stocking and looking for a very long time. And I'm super, super excited to have you on the show. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super excited for this opportunity just to chat about business. Good. Well, okay. So before we get into all of the things shoes and slippers and sustainability and all of this stuff. Tell us a little bit about, in your words, your background. Tell us kind of what your, you know, your your history is here and how you kind of got to this point, because it's really interesting to me. Yeah. So I'll start with, I do not have any experience in the fashion industry. So know that up front. Um, my uh, background is really, I worked at a uh, beauty startup for several years and that's really where I cut my teeth. I learned a lot about startups, you know, working in a scrappy, uh, fast-paced environment, you know, wearing multiple hats, all that. So I really feel like that played a big role in like what I'm doing today. And then through working at a startup, um, I don't know how many other people, you know, out there, they're probably working for startups. As they grow, a lot of times they bring in management consultants to help them with these like strategic projects and things like that. So working at that company, I saw all these management consultants come in and out the door and I just grew really curious about um, what they did. And I was curious enough to go do it myself. So I, I transitioned from the startup world to management consulting and that kind of gave me the experience of learning the client side of, yeah. you know, um, of business. And then in 2017, I moved to Amsterdam and I was working remote and um, I just grew tired of wearing ugly, unsupportive slippers at home. And that's really where the idea for Dewey's was born. So yeah, that's where I made my, my big uh, career transition into becoming a founder. That is incredible. And I, I know that we have so many listeners that actually have sort of similar backgrounds, right? Like they, they have been part of something. They then saw 
what maybe other people were doing and wanted to do it themselves, or they saw an opportunity of, you know, it wasn't working well. And so they transitioned or wanted to do something like that. And so management consulting is kind of how you transitioned then in, into the marketing side of things and all that kind of stuff, which in reality, probably helped you tremendously, right? And has helped you tremendously in founding and creating Dewey's as a yeah. whole. But tell me a little bit about some of the things in the marketing or the management consulting side of things that you saw that, you know, maybe you learned when you started doing it yourself. I mean, what are some things that you kind of realized, man, this is a great thing to have from a startup perspective, not so great? What, what, Tell us some of the tips or tricks from that side of it before we even get into Dewey's. Yeah, I think what at the beauty startup, what I saw the most was just the importance of testing. You know, you know, at the time it was um, it was always crazy. It felt like, oh, we have an idea. Oh, let's launch it tomorrow. And then, you know, <laughs> we ran it for a matter of days and it's like, it's not working. Throw it out. Um, and so I, I learned the importance of that, of just being scrappy, being fast being willing to just try things, even if they're not perfect. Um, So a lot of that with with testing in terms of marketing. And then on the management consulting side, I really learned the importance of building relationships. Mm. And whether that's related specific to marketing or just in general building a business, like I've really built Dewey's off of like finding great people to collaborate with um, in terms of like finding a great factory to work with in Portugal, finding suppliers, you know, as you know, in marketing, like I found um, wonderful, like marketing experts to work with, um, to help me kind of build out different channels. Um, So really, that relationship aspect has been super important along the way. Yes. Okay. Well, let's dig into to Dewey. So a lot of my agency clients have started their brands out of a, a need for a specific reason, right? So um, sometimes it's because they can't find the right fit because they don't, you know, know, like there isn't anything in the market or they're not happy with what's in the market. And I've heard you say this before is that you were kind of, I think to use your words, tired of wearing ugly slippers, right? Or ugly house shoes. And I, I think, tell me a little bit more about the inspiration behind Dewey's and, and how you got to that point. What what was sort of the, sort of the thing that like put you over the edge? And, and yeah, said, yeah. So for me, I, it was a time where I was, I transitioned to working in an office to working from home. You know, my husband and I, we moved to Amsterdam. So we were living abroad. I was trying to build good habits working from home. Um, and every day I woke up being like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, stand at my desk for X number of hours today, instead of just sitting all day. And I would find myself like, okay, well, do I wear my slippers, which in my mind, weren't great looking, and they actually couldn't support me during those hours of standing? Or do I wear my Nike Air Maxes? So I was like, why is this the choice? Like, ugly unsupportive (laughs) slippers or outdoor sneakers? Um, so that just kind of grew over months and months of being like, this is, this is bothering me. So really Dewey's was born out of person, out of a personal need. And then after talking to, you know, hundreds of other women out there being like, yeah, slippers suck these days. I just realized to me, there was a gap in the market of providing a shoe for home that looks good and provides actual foot support. So that's what I really set out to do. And then upon doing a lot of research of the fashion industry and discovering 
how terrible of an impact it has on the environment, I added in the sustainability focus because I just knew I didn't want to bring this product into the world unless I did it in the right way, which in my mind was like ethical production, sustainable materials, um, just trying to be as earth friendly as possible. Yes. Oh, I love that. And we work with so many brands that really at the core of who they are is around a mission, a vision, a a purpose that's bigger than themselves, whether it's giving back to certain programs, helping the environment. Um, You know, it's it's so important to me and it's so important to the the people that, you know, we want to be a part of and that we want to work with. So tell me a little bit about the the more about that, I guess, the the vision and the purpose of Dewey's making a difference in the environment. And first, can you talk a little bit about sort of like what your vision and mission was around this, and then a little bit more about why the sustainability piece is so important? Yeah. So, you know, the initial mission was around providing style and support at home for, for yeah. women to provide a shoe that for everything they did at home, whether that's you know, hosting friends or, um, you know, working from home or even relaxing, having something cozy. The the idea was style and comfort, but it really started shifting to combining that along with sustainability. So, you know, from all the research I did, I came to the conclusion that the best thing for our brand was to make our shoes out of plant-based and recycled materials. So we're trying to, you know, find as um, you know, eco-friendly materials as possible. You know, it's, it's an ever, um, I guess it's, it's a process that will always be ongoing because, um, they're, they're continuing to improve materials and things like that. But yeah, that's really our focus is plant-based and recycled materials. We use, you know, recycled packaging, like our recycled cardboard box and our recycled paper. And then we offset carbon emissions on every order ship. So, the the vision has really grown from just become the best house shoe company out there to become the best house shoe company out there that's also um like women can look good feel good and do good for the planet with every step they take at home so it brings in that hey we're gonna go a step further than making a great product we're gonna really like do it um in the most sustainable way that we know how yeah i love that and for those of you who haven't um, looked at the Dewey slippers, they're very fashion forward as well, right? And so I think that piece of it, when you think about slippers or house shoes or things like that, you don't necessarily think of fashion to that extent. And so I love that you've combined that with this sort of like vision and mission and how you are giving back to, you know, the the environment or not creating more um, waste or, or things along those lines. So I know that from my experience working at Target and, and other clients of ours in the fashion space, it, this is a hard industry, right, to kind of make a name for yourself. But you've managed to break out as one of the up-and-coming fashion brands. And if you look at your website, you know, you've got a lot of as-seen-on. Um, you've got some pretty big, you know, names and big places that people have, um, you know, looked at your products and that you're you're doing that. Um, which is amazing given, you know, that again, this is a competitive space, right? Beauty or uh, fashion is, is beyond hard in my opinion to kind of break into, but what, besides from having an amazing product, 
which I think is key, right? You got to have a good product. What's yeah. what? What do you think is kind of the keys to your success in in any industry? And what would what would you say is something that's really helped you stand out and move the business forward in such a short amount of time? Yeah. Um, well, first, trial and error is super important. Like I haven't gotten to where I am from not from like failing on some channels. So, um, but what has really helped us the most is, as you mentioned, like we've had some great features. So focusing on PR, just, you know, as a small brand, being able to tell our story of, you know, everything I've shared today of like how it came to be that we're just trying to provide style and comfort to women at home and we're doing it in an earth-friendly way. So just PR is super important. And mentioning PR, it's also important to pair that with affiliate marketing. Because that's where we most success is you get a feature and, you know, I'll be completely transparent here. There are, we don't pay for any PR features, but there are some media outlets that want a bit of commission. So there's, you know, um, affiliate programs, there's share a sale and I'm sure so many others we use share a sale. Um, And so that, I just want to share that because that only helps your chances with PR is, you know, some, uh, outlet like CNN might put you in a gift guide, but um, one of their requirements might be that you have an affiliate program. So that's been the thing that has really moved the needle the most, as well as, you know, email marketing is super important. Even if you're just getting your flows and things like that set up, let the automation work for you. I'm still, we send some like uh, biweekly campaigns and things like that, but it's still like me doing a lot of that. So um you know, we're not, all I have to say there is just like those tools, like use the automation, let it work for you. Um, You know, we've been focusing on SEO. And then the other main thing that I would say is online marketplaces. So the biggest challenge for our business, as you already touched on, is letting people know you exist. Yeah. As a small business, having your voice be heard and say, hey, we're Dewey's. Like, if you're looking for house shoes, like, come check us out. People don't know that, you know, there's, there's just, a lot of noise out there mm-hmm. online. So finding online marketplaces, like we're on some um, ones called Made Trade, ones called Vera Shop. If women are already shopping on those marketplaces, it's a great way to discover new products. So that's the other thing that yeah. we work the most. And we're just starting to to dabble in um, Google ads and seeing some success there. So that's those have kind of been our top channels so far. So I think that's a really interesting point because a lot of people go right into, okay, I need to do Facebook ads or, oh, I need to start with paid media. And I think there's a lot of opportunity, particularly for new brands, where we don't really even understand or know all the resources that are available that are not paid media right out of the gate and that you probably will have better traction getting on some of these um, marketplace apps or having affiliate partnerships or having, you know, PR opportunities before you even start with a paid media campaign or anything along those lines, you really should be exploring all of these different things first, right? Would you agree to that? I would. And, but I would say in all honesty, I've bled money on Facebook ads. So it doesn't mean that I haven't fallen in the trap of starting there because I mean, Uh, I use, you know, Instagram all the time. So as a user, I think like, oh, I want to be that brand, you know, that's coming up on my stories. So 
but I just found that starting there, I just, I hadn't refined, you know, figured out, I thought I had refined my, my messaging, but it doesn't mean that it was resonating with the customers. So it's nice to try other channels, especially these other channels that uh, are, have a lower entry cost, you know, something like uh, email marketing isn't that expensive. Whereas ads, like you just have money going out the door every day. Um, so it, it's, it's really great to try and test and see what works on other channels. And then my goal is to eventually move back to Facebook, but I'm just not quite there yet. Right, right. Well, and I think there's probably a time and a place, right, for both. And, um, you know, I kind of have the motto, if you build it, they will not come in the online space, right? Like, yeah. because it is just so crowded. It is so, like, how do you know who's who when you just put up your website? It doesn't just magically mean, I mean, I remember when I first started my marketing agency and I remember my website going live for the first time and I was like, okay, I'm waiting for the person to click the button and I waited and waited and nothing happened. Right. And, and so you kind of get this sort of like perception that somehow because you've built this, you know, business and you put it out on the world that it's just going to magically make sales and it's going to do all this stuff. And you quickly come to realize that that is not how business online works different than brick and mortar, right? And different than, you know, some other business models, but definitely there are opportunities and ways, like you said. So you talked about Maytrade. What was the other one that you said that you're on? Uh, Verishop. Verishop. Yes. That's heard of. Okay. Um, And then obviously doing some partnerships and some PR things and stuff like that. So Okay, those are great tips. So we've got, like I said, listeners sort of at every stage of the business, right? And some that are just getting started, some that have been in for a while, some that are really growing and expanding. But I always like to ask this question, if you could turn back the clock and share, you know, some solid advice with yourself when you first started, like things that maybe you would do differently or things that you would continue to do, or you like, this was the best advice I should, you know, everybody should do this. What would that be? What would be maybe like a really good thing that you did when you first started and maybe some not so great things that you did? What, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back? I mean, top of mind for what I would do differently is what we were just talking about. It's like, I thought Facebook ads was going to be this engine that I just flipped the switch and then sales started rolling in. It was just a matter of like, do you have enough budget every month to to put towards that? You know, do you have the thousand or $1,500? And the moment that you do, you put it towards it and then you get, you know, however many X back. Yeah. I just thought it was going to be a flip that I switched. And anyways, it was not, you know, I spent, um, you know, I think I finally cut it off after four months because, you know, you have to let it get started. But, and I don't mean to rag on Facebook ads. I'm just saying that wasn't the right place for us to start. Right. Um, so I think looking back, that's where now I see, I'm like, start with the things that are lower budget and see, see if you can move the needle. Like, SEO. It's never too early to start SEO because it's really, it's a long game. Email marketing, that's actually not that much of an investment to put into, you know, getting automation set up and things like that. PR, you can sign up for help a reporter out and, and do outreach yourself. Like there is a lot of very low budget marketing tactics that you can do before just putting it into ads. Um, 
So that's yeah. one thing I would do differently. I'm sure I have plenty of others, but and they'll come to me. Um, and then what I, what I'm really happy how I how I launched the business is I did a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. Uh-huh. And I think that's just a really great way before you've officially set up your website and thing like things like that. Test your me- messaging, as you know. Your I I launched right after finishing my final prototype, so it was right before going into production. But I was really able to test my messaging, see who my customers were. You know, I think I sold about I had like a hundred and ten customers. Keep in mind my products over. You know, I think I was selling them on Kickstarter for like one twenty-five or so. Um, so for me, I raised a decent amount. It was I surpassed my goal, but it was a great way to have like that final um, uh, kind of product viability test. Yeah. Like, yeah. will people want this product if I make it? Is my message resonating with them? So I think doing that kind of soft launch is a really great way to to test um, it yeah to test everything before you um you know start spending more money on marketing for your website and everything like that right right. well and I think you bring up some really good points with this because you know a lot of times people just go right to building the website and as you kind of talked about you know you you maybe haven't even refined your message quite right yet you haven't really honed in on what your customers even want to hear from you about or what they're going to focus on what I have found in my experience is that you know when I think I know something and I kind of go with that without testing or without having data to prove it, oftentimes I'm wrong or it's not, it doesn't land the way that I thought it was going to, or the messaging wasn't right, or I didn't explain something correctly or, you know, all the different things. So Kickstarters and and crowdfunding are great ways to test, to see the viability of a product, first of all, before you even put it into the marketplace, but also I think really helps refine that message and helps yeah. you as a business owner understand the perception of what people might look at from a different point of view versus looking at it from your lens. Would Definitely. You agree? Yes, yeah. of course. And, and from a product development standpoint too, just getting feedback, like your first product is never going to be the final version. I'm really proud of our first version. Like people are, I still wear mine. Um, yeah. And I know many customers that are loving it, but we've done a few production runs since then. And it's, it's those initial customers, especially from a platform like crowd, like a crowdfunding platform that I think are a little bit extra willing to give you that really honest feedback or or that honest rave about the product and leave you a review. I just feel like um, they're they're a bit more like invested in in wanting this brand to be successful and wanting to love the product. So whether it's constructive feedback or a positive review, um, it's a great way to build up um, kind of that uh, trust and, and ways to improve the product for your next production round. Totally. I love that. That's some great advice. And I think anybody who's interested in launching into a new market or even launching new products or, or kind of deviating or just getting started, that's a great low risk, low barrier to entry kind of way to test the market on whether you've got product viability and product development pieces of it. So I love that. So that's a great, great tip. Um, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, failure 
for a moment because I think this is, you know, we've all been there. It's part of the journey. And I think, um, you know, we all could talk about things that, you know, we, we wish we could have. Was there ever maybe a project or a design or part of this business that you worked on? You loved it, but at the end, it just kind of tanked. No one else really loved it or no one else did. And and kind of what did you do about that? Because I think a lot of times that gets really frustrating for business owners when they think they've got the thing or that they've created this thing and then, oops. Yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, again, probably a lot of things. Uh, but the thing that stands out the most was um, when I first came up with the idea and began prototyping. I was coming up with a house sneaker. I was like, I want this shoe to be like, you just, it's really easy to slip on. Like I wanted it to have like faux laces basically, but have like a flip down back and just soup. Cause I was like, I want women to be do, like, run up the stairs, run down the stairs. Like it has to be a sneaker look. And then I remember talking to a few people and one in particular was um, a friend's dad that came and he was visiting Amsterdam. So he had him over for dinner and I was like showing him the prototype and he's like, why don't you just do a loafer? Like something that people can slip on. And I was like, what? Like, no, I'm doing sneaker. Like I want, I want people to be able to do everything in these shoes. And then I thought about it more and I was like, I think I could achieve everything I'm trying to go for in a nice looking loafer. And yeah. that, that would probably get me closer to my goals of being like very style forward um, mm-hmm. than, than doing this sneaker that I'm trying to make look really cool, but it's still, yeah. it's a sneaker. Not to say sneakers always look bad, but they just aren't quite as elevated. So anyways, I, that, that's when I started prototype, like designing and prototyping a loafer. And I really think I have one here. Like I was still able to achieve, achieve like a sneaker like sole. The insole has arch support, like it still feels really comfortable and stays on your foot. You can run all around the house, but yeah. it's, it's um, definitely a, a huge step up from if I had just come out with a sneaker, I think. So that was one failure that like really hurt in that moment, but I'm so glad I went through it because I feel like I, um, the end result was, was so much better. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, I think, you know, you talked a lot about the sustainability piece and really making sure that you're focused a lot on, you know, not creating more waste and uh, the environmental pieces. Let's talk for a moment about that part of this journey, because there's so much of that that I think is hard to understand. It's hard to find manufacturers that are, you know, kind of on the same mission mission and vision than you are around that. Talk to me a little bit about um, maybe some of the opportunities or challenges that you've had around making this a sustainable product because it, it we all come at this with the sort of intent of not wanting to make more waste in the world and yeah. to be really conscious but it's not as easy as you would think like it should be easier than it really is when you're creating a product so talk to me a little bit about that side of the business and how you know maybe you've had some challenges or maybe you've had some great success with it what what does that look like yeah, um, sourcing materials was quite the journey. Honestly, it's the thing that took me the longest. Um, and but I'm so glad it did because I'm really proud of the the everything that our shoe is made out of today. So, um, with a lot of fashion, you can you know come up with a great design. You can find 
like a clothing or footwear agent that kind of helps you find the right factory. And then the factory's like, oh, we've made this before. Here are the materials we'd recommend. And they can kind of do all the sourcing for you. That was not the case because as you mentioned, like sustainable materials, it's still fairly new aside from being vegan and just not using leather, but finding just like basically plastic to make shoes. There wasn't a lot of very accessible sustainable materials. So I didn't go the typical route of like, what do you suggest? I just started doing all this research, any article I could find of like Puma just used this suede made from recycled material. I would just read for hours online, message people on LinkedIn, try to hunt down like, what is that suede made from recycled polyester? Or, you know, um, an example is Allbirds was doing a sugarcane sole. And I was like, that is what I want. So I just, there, I happened to be very fortunate that I was living in a city like Amsterdam that has a museum called Fashion for Good that focuses on sustainable fashion. And a woman from Allbirds happened to be speaking at an event there. So I went there, I listened to every, you know, hung on every word she said. And then I had the chance to talk to her afterwards. And she put me in touch with someone at the company that was able to give me the supplier, the raw material supplier's name in Brazil. So it's just like, you have to like pull at the string and be willing to do the work and, and, and take the time to do it. So um, yeah, every material that goes in these shoes was not like an out of the box, like, here, you just, you can use these materials. It was hunting down what is going to work best, testing and going back to the drawing board. If the, you know, like lining, for example, in a shoe is super important. Like if it's not durable and abrasion resistant enough, you know, you're going to wear right through it. So doing a lot of testing there. And um, yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it was just quite the journey, but well, well worth it. And we're still, you know, always staying open to new materials as they are developed and, um, yeah, it's something we're, we're definitely proud of. Can you talk just a little bit in case people don't know how and what the shoes are made of so yeah. that people can kind of understand them? Cause it's really quite unique and, um, amazing that you can make something beautiful out of this material. <laughs> so definitely. So, um, the, you know, the bio-based leather that looks like real leather, it's beautiful. It's smooth. Um, it's made from apples. So uh, basically in Northern Italy, they have a very large apple juice industry. They take the waste from that, which is the apple peels and cores, and they grind it down into a powder that can then be repurposed into making this beautiful bio-based leather. The suede that I mentioned is made um, from recycled polyester. The Mm -hmm. lining is still feels like a cozy, soft slipper lining, but it's made from recycled plastic bottles. Our insoles are made with a combination of cork and natural latex. And just to mention, cork is a native tree in Portugal. So it's kind of my nod to where these shoes are ethically made is Portugal. Um, And then lastly, the sole is um, sugarcane EVA. So EVA is that like cushioned foam that you'll find in a lot of your sneakers, but it replaces the petroleum-based substance with sugarcane, making it a more sustainable alternative um, for a sneaker-like sole. It's amazing that you can make a beautiful leather-looking shoe out of apples and (laughs) recycled sugarcane, you know, 
I mean, it's, it's just really beautiful. They're beautiful shoes. Um, they're definitely, definitely things that shoes that you want to go check out slippers. I call them shoes. Cause really you could wear these out and be fashion forward. They're not, they're not slippers in my opinion, because I think of slippers as like my grandma's shoes or something totally. like that. Definitely fashion forward. Definitely um, something that you could wear out in and be very, you know, stylish and and functional and comfortable at the same time. So they're really really cool. But okay, so as we start to wrap things up here and kind of finishing, sort of tell me what like are the biggest challenges that you see facing your you your industry right now and maybe even in the future like what are some challenges that you're kind of looking forward and 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 thinking about overcoming because we know that the fashion industry like i said is it's crowded um you know marketplaces are getting crowded sustainability is becoming like but for you what are some of the biggest challenges that that you think the industry is facing right now and and sort of your thoughts around what to do to overcome some of that yeah um I mean, you know, one of the biggest challenges is just getting your brand out there. So continue, I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, not only trial and error, but like movement between channels. Like, you know, I listened to one of your podcast episodes on TikTok. It's, it's really great right now, but it might not be great in three years, but get on it now. And then just know that you might be transitioning to something else in the future. So yeah. I think that's one challenge is knowing what's right what fits your business now, but being ready to, you know, putting yourself in a position where you can pivot to other channels when something stops working as well. Yeah. Um, and then another challenge, at least I'm facing is like, as a very small business, I mean, everybody, you know, I, I'm actually raising our seed round right now because I want to, you know, grow a little faster. So we really want to invest more in marketing and inventory. And, you know, everybody asks about retail, and that's something I think a lot of businesses are struggling with is like, do you stay direct to consumer and kind yeah. of, you know, my mind is like, that's really important for our brand. So I want to make sure that that's the priority. But there's also a lot of, you know, people out there that still love to like go into a shop and touch and feel the product. So mm-hmm. how, how can us small brands like have that experience without opening up our own stores or You know, for a lot of us, like I didn't build this product to, um, you know, slash the price for wholesale. Um, You know, I really built like a very nice house shoe that I tried to price as low as I possibly could for all the premium sustainable materials that I use. So it's finding uh, creative ways to have like pop ups and strategic partnerships and things like that to test the retail environment and get these, you know, for us, it's get our house shoes in women's hands and get them to touch and feel and give us feedback and, you know, um, hopefully buy a pair. Um, so that's really what's top of mind for me right now and, and what our focus is as well as our challenge. Yeah, I, I could do a whole podcast and probably should do a whole podcast about, you know, getting into retail space and wholesale and how there are pros and cons to doing that in so many different ways. And I think there's been so many online businesses that really saw the benefit of that when they first started, but also saw the tragic end to that when COVID yeah. happened. And so there's definitely, in my opinion, a balance between having a really strong online presence that can sustain you as well as having a nice, if needed, 
um, you know, retail, wholesale, pop up, you know, type of exclusivity that does come with getting your product in the hands of the right people at the right time and things like that. And so I feel like there's probably a good balance, you know, that, but it's hard and, and you're yeah. right, you know, price necessarily to um, do the wholesale piece of things, or at least people don't think about that when they first start is that, you know, gosh, if I'm going to do a wholesale business or I'm going to have a retail space, my margins are going to really be dramatically different than selling yeah. direct to consumer. So that's a really, really good point. And I'll be very interested in watching how you progress over the next year to see what, what you end up doing with that. We'll probably bring you back and have more conversations about, you know, how to do that or, or what you've done and, and see how your journey goes. But this has been amazing conversation, Jordan. I think you have really been, um, you know, inspirational for so many people to kind of see how you can really just take a vision and make it into something. You've given us some really good tips and advice on ways to start without having to spend a ton of money up front. I think you've given us some great ideas on, you know, crowdsourcing and some funding and different things too. Uh, is there any last minute tips that you would recommend or just advice that you would give to business owners that maybe are kind of in the same place that you are that, that you would wish somebody would have told you uh, when you got started or kind of where you're at now? Um, yeah, I mean, this piece of advice is going to be less about business itself and more just about life, um, is if you haven't found something like meditation or, or something to, to, if, if you're an entrepreneur or founder, whatever it is, like you have to keep yourself steady. Like you have to be able to, to go through the highs and celebrate those, but also be ready to go through the lows. So, um, if you haven't found meditation or some way that lets you kind of clear your head, relax and be able to take a step back and come, come back at things with in a very strategic way. That's honestly my biggest tip for people is um, just, just like be mentally healthy and always mentally training yourself to, to be able to um, have the strength to, to get through um, right. all there is in running your own business. Because it is like a roller coaster. I, yeah, it, I you just never know what you're going to get. <laughs> That's great advice. Yeah. Like just to have a good mental health practice or some way to be able to kind of keep yourself on an even keel because you really are going to experience the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Um, it could be within hours of each other. <laughs> to yes, be it can. Yeah. Within, it can. All within the same day, all within hours. It's, it's really quite crazy. So that is amazing. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. If they want to check you out, where is the best place to go? Tell us, we'll of course link all of this in the, in the show notes, but tell us more about where they can find you and where you're hanging out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on our website at deweys.com. That's D-O-O-E-Y-S.com. And then on social, we're most active on Instagram and our handle is at deweys.slipshoes. Awesome. Go check them out. 
Um, they are amazing shoes. I love, love, love them and highly recommend them to anyone who is looking for a comfy, cozy, sustainable um, house shoe. So Jordan, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, if you have any questions for Jordan, we are always happy to bring her back and to answer more questions. Um, if you found this episode helpful, please be sure to leave us a review. And thank you all so much for listening. Until next time. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you've heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see if you're a good fit to work with the Digital Dawn team, head over to digitaldawnagency.com forward slash contact and let's book a call. Thanks so much again and until next time.